Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Today we're in the last week of the series called Daring Faith. And I really wrestled with what today we would try to talk about. And then I thought to myself, maybe the greatest dare is found in the blessing that we pray over you on your way out each week. Um, I, I really thought, I wonder if anybody knows that it's not just a cue to put your jacket on, gather the kids up, close your Bible, and head to the exit. I wonder if it's possible that, that there's, there's a rhyme and a reason and a purpose for which we say things like, go, let the Lord go ahead of you and make a way, because he can and he will. And let the Lord go within you to bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment, for he is always good and you are always loved. And let the Lord come behind you in days that are difficult and challenging and let him pick you up and carry you through your darkest hour and plant you on your feet victoriously. As you hear your Savior say, my child, I love you. Is there a rhyme and a reason to that? And the answer is yes. As a matter of fact, yes, yes, and yes. If you have your handout this morning, would you go ahead and pull it out? Uh, you'll notice on the back cover is everything that's happening around here Easter week. I want to make sure you're aware of this because uh, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And it's when we celebrate kind of in that space the day that the Lord Jesus would have ridden into Jerusalem and the people were hailing him king. And they were shouting Hosanna. But then by the time the end of the week had got there, those same people were shouting Barabbas, we will take him over you. Those same people were screaming for his execution in a mock trial. And so next Sunday, it'll be a little different experience on a Sunday morning. We're asking you to experience Palm Sunday with us as opposed to just coming here and you know we're going to do three songs and preach. And we want you to, it'll, it'll be a really interactive and a fun time next Sunday. So join us. And then that Thursday night, what many of you grew up knowing to be Monday Thursday, at 7 p.m., join us online. And you can, you can do this on the app. You can do it on a tablet. You can do it on a smart TV. You can do it with Roku box. Just whatever you're doing, pull it up on your uh, tablet or iPad and throw it up to Apple TV on your television, but we're going to walk you through a guided online communion service that we invite you and your family to join us for. And you say, well, Chuck, I don't have the juice, I don't have the crackers, or maybe you're one of those homes that has, like, can I use the real stuff, just knock yourself out. But at, at the end of the day, what I want to encourage you to do is, is whether you use uh, Kool-Aid or grape juice or wine, or you use Gatorade, or whatever it is. The, the picture here is not about the product in the glass or, or the, what kind of bread it is. The picture here is that we want to walk you through with you and your family being able to experience communion, the Lord's Supper, on Monday, Thursday. And if you say, well, I don't get home till later, you can pick it up on a re 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 replay at 8, 9, or 10. And so I encourage you to do that, all right, and be a part of Monday, Thursday. Then on Good Friday, the services are in this room. And uh, it, it really will be an amazing day. And of course, Easter Sunday, just, man, just kill it. It's just an amazing day around here. So make sure you're part of all that's going on. Open up your uh, handout if you wouldn't mind. And when you flip it back around, you'll notice there's no lines in the center section for you to take notes. And there's a reason for that. I wanna invite you to draw with me and doodle with me today as we try to give you a picture of what that blessing means and how do you take on this daring faith by accepting that blessing and choosing to live like the blessing says the Lord can lead you to live like. And so I wanna to start today by saying to you, I believe everything starts with the, the fact that we are linear people. We are scorekeepers. We treat most of our life 
like we do everything in our life, and even our faith system, we treat it this way, where, okay, I do X, check. I do Y, check. I do Z, check. And we, and we treat our life as though we're moving along this linear timetable that says, okay, I've asked Christ to come into my life. I've asked him to be my Lord. I've asked him to be my Savior. Done. That's over. Okay, I'm going to get baptized. Check. Done. That's over. Okay, I'm, I'm going to join a group and a discipleship group. Awesome. Check. Done. Over. I might start giving. Check. Done. Over. I might invite somebody, and we treat our life like a scoreboard. The very first ball game my dad ever took me to to see a major league ballpark was at Fenway Park in Boston. And there at one of the great old ballparks of the world, they still have a manual scoreboard out in that big green wall they call the, the Green Monster. And that ballpark, they're literally Literally, people inside this crowded little space, and when they score a run, they have to take a board out and put a board in. There's nothing electronic about it. I think many of us treat our faith life just like that scoreboard. Okay, I did this, check, done, check, done, check, done. And, and some of us are so task-oriented that our whole faith life is built around something we do as opposed to something we are. And I just want to challenge you today with this thought. If you want to jot this thought down, and it really is everything today is around this, this conversation. There's a reason that we are called human beings, not human doings. I mean, nobody has ever looked at you and said, wow, you're an interesting human doing. Nobody's ever said, you know, we, the collective group of the people of this universe, we are human doings. We say we're human beings. Well, I believe there's a lot of truth to be found in that one statement as we try to figure out what is it like to live this blessable life, to have this dare thrown at us that you can trust God for your reconciliation of your past, your present, and your future. Now, let me just kind of stop and say, this is one of those times when I really wrestled with how am I going to try to convey this because this is what I needed somebody to teach me this week. We were talking the other night, Jenny and I, and... Uh, out of the blue, I've been wrestling in my head this one statement, so I just said it out loud. It's as awful as it may seem to you. I just I said it out loud, and I said, you know, Jen, at 56, I thought by now I would have done something great. Let that one sit there for a minute. I meant every word of that. I thought by 56, I would do something great with my life. Being the Holy Spirit in my life that she is, she kind of reached over and punched me, and um, reminded me, you know, Chuck, the people that you meet in your office week after week and they get to come to know Christ and the peace found, that's pretty great. The fact that God trusts you with this church and, and, and the teaching of the word, that, that's pretty great. And so I had to try to figure out and reconcile the account in my life for my past, all that I have lived through to date. How do I reconcile against that such a selfish and sinful heart? How do I reconcile the present in all that I want to be for the cause of Christ? And yet, there's this humanity in me that screams at me that's not enough. How do I reconcile my future and trust that his, new, his mercies are new every day? And I can trust him. If I can trust him with heaven, how much more so can I trust him with Tuesday? If I can trust the presence of Jesus that he, he was crucified, buried, risen again, coming back again someday, does it get any greater than that? I want to ask you this question. If you and Jesus are not enough today, what makes you think you and Jesus will be enough in heaven? If, if being able to say, I am a follower of Jesus, I am a Christian, I will stand for him because he has extended to me great grace, 
He has given me opportunity to live at peace with my creator and with those people around me. And his new mercies are fresh for me every day. If I, if I could never do anything to make God not love me, how is it I, my life isn't so significantly radically changed on Monday through Saturday like I pretend that it is on Sunday? How can that be? Because we need something to reconcile our accounts. We need something that would, that would replace what we think is human greatness with the presence of God and experience true greatness. And I believe it all starts with grace. I believe the whole thing starts with grace. So I want to ask you to take, this, the, take a pen out of the seat back in front of you and fold your bulletin back. And I want you to draw a few pictures with me. On the left-hand side, I want you to draw a box that just says grace. Just write the word grace on the left-hand side in the middle. All right, and then go all the way to the other right-hand side and write the word peace. You see, when we mention go ahead, let the Lord go ahead of you, let the Lord go within you, let the Lord come behind you, go in peace. That's how we end every service. All those things start with grace. Those things don't happen alone. They don't happen just in absentee leadership. They happen because of grace. Now, we, we look at grace so differently. Some of us look at a ball player when they're, when they're running and we just say, man, he just, he runs with grace. Some of us see an Olympic diver and say, wow, that, that it's done with such grace. We see a ballerina and, and say, they, look at what they've done with such grace. We see somebody in a difficult situation. You're in a, a gathering with a difficult situation and we look at that man or woman and we, and we say, wow, they handled that with such grace. What does all that mean? What, what does that look like? Well, Winston, if you'll pull up that big slide that shows all the scriptures on the left-hand side, would you jot down these references beginning in Ephesians 2.8? Listen to what the scripture said. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Several months ago, uh, I got to my office, and on my desk was, was a little, uh, like a sandwich baggie, one of those Ziploc deals, and inside of the bag, were all these little miniature toys of the characters from The Lion King. The previous Sunday, I had used an illustration of, about that movie. And I, I talked about Rafiki and, and the, what you see in the reflection of the water. And, and Michael and Amanda Allen's little boy said, I want to give Pastor Chuck these toys. If you come by my office today, they're sitting out because every time I see them, you know what I'm reminded of? This is what grace feels like. I had a couple that I, I'd been doing some counseling with and they're just one of the sweetest people on the planet. And they had a last appointment set with me and when, when he walked in, he said, hey, I brought you something. And he brought this super cool uh, picture of, of Herschel Walker and everything was black and white, but Herschel was in red and it was signed by Herschel and there was a picture on the back of Herschel signing it. And I know, listen, if you're an Auburn guy, listen, you, you, I get it. That means nothing to you. But, but for me, dude, come on. I mean, Herschel, that, that's just good stuff. And you know what he said? Man, I just wanted to do this for you. And he said, this is so much fun. I didn't, I didn't earn that. I, we didn't charge for counseling sessions. There wasn't something that I could just... I, it was just a gift. When we see grace for what it is, it is a gift. It is the receiving of a gift. You, you don't earn it. You, you can't buy it. You can't work hard enough. You can't come to church 40 Sundays in a row and get the star in your crown. You can't, you can't do all those things. Grace is a gift that you choose to receive. 
So what scripture says in Ephesians 2.8 is this. So all of us have the capacity for all manner of evil. The scripture says that our hearts are filled with wickedness to the degree that we don't even know what our own heart believes. And yet God knows that. He sees our selfishness, our sinfulness. He sees all the stuff we do wrong. Now here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes for just a second. I want you to think of the past week. And as you think of the past week, don't say this to anybody. Just sit there and, and think to yourself, what was the worst sin I committed this week? Just think. For some of you right now, the worst sin you committed all week was that you didn't think you committed any sin this week. All right, you got it in your head? I, I want you to imagine that God walked into your thoughts and your actions in the heat of that decision and you felt so embarrassed. You felt, you, you felt like, wow, I have failed you so badly. It's like, it's like when your kids first realize they've been busted and, and you've caught them in a lie. They just feel so bad. But then God comes along and says, but listen, I love you so much that I asked my son to leave heaven and come to this place and live with all of your sin and filth and, and selfishness. But he's gonna be perfect. He's gonna give his life and shed his blood and his body will be broken for you. That's the punishment for all your sin and selfishness. And then he's gonna be put in a borrowed tomb. And when he dies, three days later, he's raising from the dead and he's going to create a home in heaven for all those who believe. And he said, you can't do anything to earn it. You can't count enough beads. You can't say enough Hail Marys. You can't, you can't give enough to the church. You can't go enough on mission trips. You can't teach enough classes to earn this. This is a gift. I'm just giving you a gift. You know, when, um, when that guy brought that picture in, you know what I didn't say? Dude, don't do that. Are you kidding? Don't give me that gift. I don't want that thing. You know what I said? Thank you. That is so stinking cool. Thank you. Isn't that what you say when somebody gives you a gift? You unwrap it and you say, thank you. And some of you people are professional unwrappers. I get it. I mean, like some of you say, I've wanted this all my life. And it's like a belt buckle. My sister, my oldest sister is the single worst gift giver on the planet. Really, it's just, it, I'll never forget. This was, this was about 20 years ago. And, and she drew my name for the family thing, right? And so my sister let her then young son pick my present out. And, and, and I'll never forget it when I opened it. It was a belt buckle that were just made up of bright, bright, shiny gold and, and little rhinestones that said Chuck. <laughs> I opened that up and I thought to myself, well, how about that? It looked like a WWE title belt. I thought I got the bling now. But you know what I said to my sister? Thank you. Because as goofy as it was, it was a gift. The great thing about grace is that God says, you can't do enough church stuff to earn my grace. You can't give enough. You can't sing enough. You can't act like you love me enough to earn grace. It is a gift. You choose to receive it. It is unearned. You don't deserve it. And God says to us, Chuck, listen, as messed up as your life is, I'm going to give you grace to the degree that when I receive it and I recognize it's unearned, it literally flows from out of me and now I get to extend it. One of the great things about having teenagers is you have to have grace in your life when you raise teenagers. Having done six of them now, you also may need a lobotomy. But you know, grace 
When our kids totally blew it and made awful decisions, you know what one of the first things our thought was? I am so grateful that they got to have grace extended to them while they're under our roof. Because when you know what grace is and when you know what grace is for, then you know how good and great it is that God would look at our sinful, selfish, wicked ways and say, I wanna give you this gift. You weren't good enough. You didn't act good enough. You didn't give enough. You didn't show up enough. You don't deserve, you don't deserve this. You deserve a prison cell. That first song we sang today, you know, just, it, it's amazing when, when I think about that song. We, we, there we are, trapped. There we are in our sin, our selfishness, no way out. We can't fix it. And God says, I'll fix it. I got it. It's like God comes behind that terrible board meeting where you just made a fool of yourself and you caught on YouTube and he wipes it off the internet. And he says, I've got you. This is grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, listen to this. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Listen to that. My grace is sufficient for you. Listen to me. If you and Jesus aren't enough today, you won't be enough tomorrow. Well, of all the people that come to my office for a counseling appointment, if I could, if I could just get one thing, and that is this. Jesus is enough. It's not Jesus is enough and something. It's not like my grace is sufficient and yet I need an attorney at the end of the radio commercial to tell you the disclaimer. You ever hear those? Like, you know, you're, they're, they're, they're broadcasting about some magic diet pill. And then right after that, the guy that comes on to read the disclaimer reads it so fast, you don't hear that this is gonna kill you, right? I mean, it, sudden symptoms of death. And you know, I'm thinking to myself, that. That's not cool, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm okay being fat, I'd rather do that than die, you know? But Jesus doesn't come behind this with a disclaimer. He says, my grace, it's sufficient for you. He doesn't say, now my grace is sufficient for Rusty, but, but I mean, let's face it, my, it's not enough for Steve. I mean, I know Steve, good grief, talk about a sinner. Oh my stars, that guy's a heathen. I mean, he's a politician for goodness sake, he's the mayor. I mean. Rusty's, he's the chairman of deacons. He, he must be good. And when we live like that, we're living this linear phase that says, I'm going to treat life like a scoreboard, and I'm going to manage my life against Rusty and against Steve, as opposed to having this circular path that says it all starts with grace and it never stops. I, I am never not in the need of grace. I never stop needing grace. I never, there's never a time I don't need God to say, okay, I'm going to pick you up and fix this. There's never a time I don't need it. It is so cyclical, it, it keeps on moving. It is a flowing, it is a energizing process. It's like God created the universe and said, we're gonna conspire with the universe to help you get grace. Scripture goes on and says in Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Now, if you're a Bible student, this is a big, big statement. Listen to what it says. It says, let us with, then with confidence I'll never forget, I, I walked in my dad's office. I was about 16 or 17 years old and, and they had moved back from Texas back to Georgia then. I wouldn't live with my ball coach anymore. I was living back at home and I walked into my dad's office. He was on staff at First Baptist Snellville, Georgia. And I walked in his office and this is what I said, Dad, I know you're gonna say no, but. You ever done that? You ever started a meeting off with, I know you're gonna say no, but. Do you realize how big of a hole you're already in if that's what you're coming out with? And so I looked at my dad and I said, hey, dad, I know you're going to say no, but me and these two guys, we want to go on a road trip. 
Now, dad clearly knew what that meant in my life at that time. Going on a road trip means that I was not going to do nice things. So dad looked at me, and I'll never forget it. Dad looked at me and said, well, let me ask you a question, son. On this road trip, do you think you're going to become a better person, or do you think you're going to cause everybody around you to be less of a person? Because if you think it's going to make you a better person, by all means, you go. But if it's not, I would encourage you to make the decision now not to go. Okay, that's not helpful. It's like, Dad, how about a yes or a no? I mean, doesn't the scripture say, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no? You know what my dad thought of that? And maybe means maybe. You know what I did? I bailed out on the trip. And when I knew what had happened on the trip, I thought to myself, God, that's grace. You intervened in my silliness and you extended grace. But you know what happens to many of us when grace is extended to us? We forget that his grace is sufficient. We forget that Jesus is enough because we think Jesus is enough with air conditioning. Jesus is enough when I have the right car. Jesus is enough when I live in the right home. Jesus is enough when I have the right job. Jesus is enough only when I I have everything just right. Listen to me, friend. If you're not enough, if, if it's not enough for Jesus to be alone today and you be able to live in the sufficiency of his grace, it won't be tomorrow. If, you, if you're saying, I'm counting on Jesus for heaven, but I'm not going to live for him Monday through Saturday, then I would say to you, man, you need to check up your faith and figure out, am I living a scoreboard life or am I willing to receive his gift of grace? Because God's, God's not keeping score between you and some other dude. God's not keeping score between you and some other lady. God's not keeping score between your family and somebody else's family. God said, this is the standard I have for you. And you fail, and I give you grace, and I allow you to keep on the journey. But if if you're gonna do that, you better figure this out because there are some things that come with grace you better figure out you're gonna live with. The text keeps on going. Listen to this. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they're justified by his grace as a gift. So if you're a bookkeeper and you need to reconcile the accounts, if you have a checkbook at home and you reconcile those accounts, I think people still do that, then what you do is you take and you, you make sure that every penny is where it's supposed to be and, and you, can, you can give an account for everything. You get to reconcile past, you get to reconcile present, and you get to trust that you can reconcile the future. Grace comes along and reconciles your accounts in the past because when we have lived in sin and when we've lived in darkness, when we've lived in selfishness, then God comes along and says, I'm going to extend grace. You can reconcile your past. You can be reconciled with God. As a result, you were reconciled through his son, Jesus, who gave his life for you. And then you can be reconciled with one another. When I look at the silliness of this presidential election, you know what I think to myself? How about somebody just show a little grace? The problem is today we think grace is weakness. But think about how silly that thought is. Grace is a gift that God didn't have to give, but he did give to me and to you. And all we have to do is receive it to reconcile our past, to reconcile our present, and to trust that we can reconcile our future. So you think about that. We've all fallen short. We've all messed up. We're all on the same path. When you say, well, yeah, but that guy, he's a porn addict. Me, I I just overeat. And you know what God says? Yeah, you both need grace. Yeah, but he needed five more drops of blood than I did. Well, he, he caused Jesus to have two more lashes than, than I did. But you don't understand how bad they are because if you knew that, that Jesus may not have had to die for me. He just had to die for them. Let me just say to you, Jesus didn't have to die more for anybody more than he did you. 
The Jews didn't kill Jesus. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. Our sin killed Jesus, our collective sin. But he says it's sufficient for you. Come into this room with confidence that I'm going to hear you. Acts 20 verse 32 says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is also able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So a couple of big churchy words in there, right? Let's start off. I commend you to God and the word of his grace. Now watch this. Think of that phrase. Again, if you're a Bible student, you're ahead of me. The word of his grace. What did the first, what did the first line in John's gospel say? In the beginning was the what? Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Now listen to that and look in, in this and say, and God to the word of his grace. So what do we know is the tangible definition of grace? The presence of Jesus. The tangible definition of grace is the present of Jesus. He is how we reconcile our past. He is how we reconcile our present. And he is how we trust that we'll reconcile our future. So I'm reminded that this is, it's like we're constantly being refined. So if, if you took gold and you were in charge of creating and making jewelry, jewelry with this pure gold, you, you would heat it up. And, and the more you heated it up, the more the impurities from the ground would rise to the top. And you would take this knife, kind of like a butter knife, and you would scrape the impurities off. That's why we have less, less quality gold, not high quality gold. And you'd keep doing that until no impurities rose to the top. And then when you looked in it, the person who was doing this melding, this person knew the gold was ready to do something extraordinary when he could look into the gold and he could see his reflection. Listen, when we receive grace and then we in turn are receiving grace to the degree that we extend grace, you know what happens? We are looking more like Jesus every day and when we look and see what our reflection is, do we see Jesus or do we see us? You see, at some point, grace changes the way we look, grace changes the way we think, Grace changes the way we give. Grace changes the way we worship. Grace changes everything, not just on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday. Grace changes Thursday. Grace is, it, it's free. It's unearned. You, you, there's nothing you can do. Isn't it wonderful when you have the ability to give something to somebody? I mean, I am so grateful that there are people that can give and can do. How wonderful is that? What a joy to be able to do that. That's because they, there's enough grace there that says, I can't wait to give it out. I can't wait to do this. But you see, the minute you get grace to that degree in your life, you will stop keeping score and you'll start living for Jesus. It'll be enough to abide, to rest in, to walk in, to live with Jesus. When we get that grace, it says, okay, I'm good. I've reconciled my past. Now, Lord, reconcile my present. Lord, I trust you to reconcile my future. All of a sudden it's different because grace now leads to peace. You see, one of the natural outcomes for grace is it goes all the way around the circle and gives us peace. But peace, for most of us, we think it's the lack of some type of commotion or conflict in our life. Listen, folks, you're never going to eliminate conflict in your life. You're never going to eliminate it. Wherever two or more are gathered together, you've got problems. Because when we think differently, we act differently, we just look at the posts on Facebook about the election. I see people just going off. It's like, I want to give them the sign to wear a badge that says it's not the sheriff. I'm just showing my stupid. I mean, how many ways are we going to show the world what we don't really know about? You see, what happens is when we live at peace, it's not the absence of turmoil. It's not the absence of trouble. It's the recognition that God can, God will, through Jesus and live and working in our, in our life, 
who sits on the throne of our heart, who commands our soul, that's when the Lord Jesus says, I'm going to take this, I'm going to fix this. And if you'll let me fix this, if you'll let me fix it in my time, it will be done so well. But if you get ahead of me, it's going to be a mess. Every time I make a disaster in my life, every time, every time, it's because I chose to be a person of action instead of being a person of peace. Because I love to get ahead of God. I love to be terminally certain. I love to believe I can make this happen. And every time I do, the Lord reminds me, Chuck, you are just like the people of Israel. You think it's you, and it's not. And all of a sudden he says, I need to extend a little more grace, and when you receive that grace, I'm gonna bring you around where you can experience peace. This is why peace is a big deal. When we don't have peace in our life, we make really bad decisions and we ruin relationships. When we do have peace in our life, we make godly decisions and we build healthy relationships. So it's a big deal to have peace, but you don't have peace without grace. When you, when you live in grace, when you recognize, I didn't do anything to earn it, I can't be super Christian and get the medal for it, Okay, wait a minute, then what happens? Peace comes into my life. Listen to what the scripture said in Romans chapter five, verses one and two. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, so in other words, by faith, we receive the gift of grace. By faith, we recon- God is reconciling our past. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What scripture is saying to us is this. Okay, grace leads to peace. When we're there, stay there, stay at peace. Don't stop creating all the problems in life by getting ahead of God. Live at peace. When your soul is resting in the power and presence of Jesus, you're at peace. When you're at war with your creator because you want life on your terms, on your time frame, then that's what happens. Most of our grief, most of our challenge, most of our sin, most of our anxiety comes because we want to get on the other side of this and not sit and rest at times in the presence of God. We, we treat our Bible study times this way. I mean, I, I, I read my Bible, done. We just can't wait to get through it. And what if the Lord says, you know, I need you to stick on this verse right here. But Lord, my, my goal at the beginning of the year is to read through the Bible. But I, but I need you to live right here right now. I, 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 Chuck, I, I need you to live in Hebrews 4.16. I, I, it's okay that you don't get through the Bible. I, I need to talk with you. Peace is when we are at peace with our creator because of the grace given by our Savior. You need a little peace in your life? What if we're just looking in all the wrong places? Psalm 29:11 says, "The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace." So if God wants to give you peace, this has got to be a big deal, isn't it? I mean, if, if God says, "I want to give you peace," then what we know is, for me and to be right, right, in a right relationship with God, I have to receive grace. And when I receive grace, then I know that I can be at peace. How am I at peace? Walking, abiding in, and resting in the power and the presence of Jesus that I trust him with my life, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. I trust Jesus with Friday. I trust Jesus with Saturday afternoon. I know he's gonna reconcile my past. I know he's gonna reconcile my present. Psalm 34, 14 says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Scriptures say whatever you do, the psalmist said, you stay after it. Peace is such a big deal, don't surrender. Get at peace. I say to folks when I counsel them all the time, tell me the three things you need to do that will help you get to peace. And you know what? 
most people don't need an ounce of counseling from me. They just need somebody to look them in the eyes and say, what do you have to do to get to peace? Because when you get to peace, you're gonna make good decisions and you're gonna build healthy relationships. And as long as you don't have peace, life's gonna be a nightmare for you. Get to peace. Now, you know how I can say that boldly and confidently? I'm a mess. I've told you honestly in the past, I flirt with depression in my life. I, I, I've struggled with it my entire adult life. There are times when I, when I leave here and I go home and think, Chuck, you're the biggest loser. This church deserves somebody better. Have you ever been there where you just think, you know, we, we tend to fall on one of two extremes. Either, you know, I'm looking in the mirror saying how great thou art, or I'm on the other, other side saying, you know what, I, I'm not worthy. And what if we were just to receive grace to the degree that we could live at peace and God says, see, I've got you. I, I've got you. 1 Corinthians 14, says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. You know what that tells me? The opposite of peace is confusion. Peace is when we, we have got our life in order with God. This is what happens. Now, now, the Hebrews, they had a different look at peace. When they talked about peace, they used the Hebrew word shalom. When you say shalom, does that not sound like you're smart? Seriously, just say it with me. You ready? Shalom. No, 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 get, get a little lilt to it. Like, roll your tongue a little bit, add a little to it, you know? So, shalom. Go ahead and say it. Come on, don't you sound smarter when you say that? I mean, seriously, I, this is one of the greatest words ever. The Hebrews, when they used the word shalom, it was a verb. What they meant was, where you go, bring us a little shalom. When you walk into the room and things are a mess and there's a problem, bring a little shalom. When you come home and, and the kids are going crazy, bring home a little shalom. When, when the money is running dry, don't, don't gripe about it. Receive grace, live in peace, and live, bring a little shalom. In your office this week, you know what it probably needs? It needs a little shalom. You bring it. You've got peace. It's deeper. It's wider. It's more powerful than we can imagine because we're sitting in the presence of Jesus, and he says, I'm going to use you to bring a little shalom. What if we were willing to just bring a little shalom? Because when we do, this is where hope is found. When we bring a little shalom, we recognize grace. All right, I, I, I can't do anything apart from it. I know I'm living at peace with, with my, my heavenly father because he's given me all this shalom to the degree that I, I want to unpack a little shalom on you. Wouldn't you like to go into Monday with a little shalom? Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to hit the pillow tonight and you got a little shalom? You say, well, Chuck, how do I stay in this point of grace and peace? How do I stay there? This is where God just has a foolproof process. You get a little grace to reconcile your past. You live in a little peace so that he can reconcile your present. Tomorrow morning, the book of Lamentation says, his mercies are fresh and new for you tomorrow morning. And every day, he is so faithful. Let me read that scripture to you. Lamentations 2 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. When I receive grace, I live in peace. And tomorrow morning, even if I blew it today, new mercies are there for me. New mercies sound like this. Every morning, you have a blank whiteboard and you get to decide how much shalom, how much grace, how much mercy are you going to claim so that Jesus will be enough for me today? There are new mercies waiting on you today. I, I, I'm reminded when I think about what, what that means and what it sounds like, that 
when Moses was trying to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, you know, he had the plagues and all that going on. Listen to what the Lord said to Moses in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Now, now, you know I'm a big believer that if you put scripture in the context of which was written, then I can understand the context in which is written to me today. So let me read it to you this way, as if we here at Sugar Hill, it was written to us. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the car lot in the land of Swanee today. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the office in the land of Buckhead today. I am the Lord your God who rescued you for an overdrawn bank account today. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the chemo treatment today. I am the Lord your God who rescued you because you needed to be rescued. There's a story in the New Testament. We know it as the prodigal son. So dad, who is the God picture in this story, we being the sons, the youngest son goes to dad and said, dad, would you give me my inheritance now? I, I, the whole world, it's my apple, I wanna do it. So dad says, okay, kind of like my dad did. Okay, okay, this is what you want, knock yourself out. Dad gives him his inheritance. Kid li- leaves and, and he, he spends every dime on foolish and, and party living. I mean, he blew through all of it and, and he's eating with pigs when, when he realizes I, I have to go back to dad. I, I, got, I, gotta, I gotta have a little grace here. Surely he won't do that. Maybe, maybe just by grace he will say, okay, you can, you can come feed the hogs at our place, but that's, there's a condition. So, so he gets his stuff together, and on his way home, he's thinking, wow, this is going to be embarrassing. I left here, and I blew it, and now i got to go back to God. And, and I, I know Dad's going to say, oh, son, you're such an idiot. Son, how could you be so stupid? I mean, can you imagine all the things the son is thinking about what the dad is going to do to him when he gets back? And yet he knows, I've got to go back. So the father... Remember, this is the figure or the picture of God. The father rolls his robe up, which would have never been done in that world. And he ran when he saw his son far away to the road. And when he saw him, he embraced him. And he said, we're going to have a party. Welcome home. Now, the other son who stayed, he was ticked off. Listen, little brother, you took your share and blew it. We don't have a place for you. We're going to treat our slaves better than you. Little brother, you're stupid. You're a fool. Then he looks at dad. Dad, surely you're not going to. You can't extend grace to him. He's a punk. He took the money. He blew it. He lived like a fool. Dad, put him out with the pigs. And the dad looks at the son. And let me read what the scriptures say. Son. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. You see, the reason I know his grace is sufficient, the reason I know that he's the peace that passes all understanding, the reason that I know that his mercies will be fresh and new for each of us tomorrow, I know that because what he looked at us and said was, my child All that I have is yours. Just receive my grace. Just live in peace. Receive my mercies 
It's a gift. And all that I have is yours. How do we respond to that? There's really only one response. I need grace. I need peace. I need mercy. Lord, I'm so grateful that all you have is mine. And it's free for the asking, but it costs you everything. Father, I pray today there would be people in this room that would say, I need to receive your grace. Jesus, I, I, there's nothing I've done. If anything, I've, I've earned the opposite, but would you, would you let me receive this gift of grace? God, would you let me live in peace this week? What could I tangibly feel and know what your new mercies are for tomorrow? God, thank you that all that you have is, is mine. Like you said to the people of Israel, you are the Lord, our God, who, who rescues us, who brings us out of slavery, who brings us out of sin, who brings us out of selfishness. And God, we don't have to look at you and say, I thought someday I'd do something great. You are enough. That is all the greatness we need. You and you alone, God, you are great. God, I pray we live in grace and in peace and in mercy and we would experience all that is yours. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen, amen, and amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.